Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. My name is Jake, and uh, yeah, it's good to see you guys. We're going to continue our sermon series in Isaiah. So go ahead and open up to Isaiah chapter 49, and you can put your finger right on verse 1 of Isaiah 49. And before we jump in, start hearing God's word, let's pray. Father, we invite you to open up our hearts and reveal to us you. And so, yeah, hear everyone's prayer right now in this moment. Wherever everyone, your daughters, your sons are sitting this Sunday, that they might be ministered to you by your word, Jesus. Amen. So when I was 11 years old, my dad came to pick up me and my two younger brothers and take us on a drive. And I was sitting on the front seat and my dad, uh, as he was driving, turned to me and my brothers and said, boys, <clears throat> your mom and I are getting a divorce. And that ended up having a profound impact on what I thought about marriage, love, how relationships could end up for the rest of my life. And when I was 24 and really in love with a girl named Lexi, <clears throat> I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, someone knows her. <laughs> I, uh, cause she's great, yeah. Um, but I, I drive with my best friend to pick out a wedding ring and get the ring. They're like, we're going to size it up, be ready in a couple of weeks. So it's like, I bought it, but I didn't have it yet. And I drive back uh, here to the church. I didn't have much planned for the rest of the day. And I went into the back. There's like a secret back room. It's all been changed now. It used to be just like this room that was like filled with nothing. Nobody would ever go back there. And so I knew I would never be bothered. And so I go back there and I start to pray. And the main prayer that I was dealing with and wrestling with when I was talking to God was this. I remember watching my parents really love each other, but they didn't end up staying together. And I really loved Lexi. So what was gonna happen? And so I got on my knees and I started praying, God, should I marry this girl? Yes or no? And I don't know if you've ever tried to ask God a yes or no question. <laughs> you have. Uh, God in his kindness doesn't necessarily always give you that. Uh, for me, he never gives me that, but maybe for you, he does. Um, so I asked him, should I marry this girl? But in reality, what I really wanted to ask him was this question, how? How is this going to turn out? I wanted to know ahead of time if it was gonna turn out poorly, I should back out now. Or if it would go good, I could jump all in. And so can you just tell me now, God, how is this going to pan out? <clears throat> and I prayed really hard. Um, I would not be deterred. I was like, God, I'm not going anywhere. Every time I say something like that, I'm like tired in 30 minutes. And I'm like, well, I, I guess he outlasted me, God. And I determined to not sit there until I got that answer. How really is this going to pan out so that I would know? And God in all his kindness did not give me that answer because 
If he told me in the next three years, this is what marriage is gonna pan out to be like for you and what you're gonna have to wrestle through and deal with, Jake, I'd be like, you know what? Maybe you can just do some kind of other character development. I'll pass. Um, but God in his kindness did not answer that question of how it's gonna work out. There is a question in the prophet of Isaiah's teaching that has begun to bubble up and surface that's behind a lot of the messages that we've been hearing so far. The question is really simple. How are they gonna get out of exile? Because if you think about it, we've been preaching for five weeks now from Isaiah 40 through 48, and it's been filled with nothing but stacking promise after promise that God is making to his people while they sit in exile. Promises that God was gonna come back, that he was gonna comfort them who had been sent away into exile, that he was going to show the idols in the world that only he was the true God of the universe that he was going to heal them and restore them and how he was gonna show that that empire that ruled over them in Babylon was nothing but dust and grass, that he was gonna actually fulfill his promise to bless not just one little family in the Middle East, but the whole world through them. And that was the promises that just keep getting stacked the last five weeks. But as you keep going, they're still sitting in exile. So you gotta begin to ask the question, how are they actually going to get out? How is God gonna come through on his promises? The message of Isaiah could be boiled down to so far, God is not yet done with his people. He's not done with saving, but how? As John ended his sermon last week, God could technically rescue them out of Babylon, but it still doesn't deal with the problem that is at the core of what's the problem with them is that Babylon and, and sin has sunk deep into God's people. So how exactly are they gonna get out of exile asking that question? And I think we are honestly just like them. I think it's interesting when you read the New Testament, the, 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 the smaller section of the back of the Bible uh, that's got all this stuff about Jesus. Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, refers to the church and you know what he calls the people of God? Exiles. Out of all the history of God's people and what they could have been called, he calls God's people today in 2023, addresses them as exiles. Which, when you think about it, is a perfect description for what it feels like to be a Christian. Because we, like the exiles in Babylon back then, have done our best to make our lives where we are at, but deep down we hunger for a better world. No matter where you live, whether it's on the far reaches that are from here or it's here in America, no matter where that is, you live in an empire that has no consideration or care for the things of God, just like Babylon. You, just like Israel, day to day, moment to moment, are constantly surrounded by idols, idol worship, and that seeps even into our own lives if we're not careful. We are just like those exiles. We feel the pressure to be absorbed into this culture we feel it in our bones that there is just a general aching and gnawing of pain and tension that comes from living in a world like theirs. 
And so we like Israel ask all the time, how? How am I supposed to face the pain and the pressure of living like an exile in 2023? How am I to keep faith in God that he's not done with the story when the moment I leave church, it looks like he's done? Maybe you're not even asking God that question. Maybe you force it onto somebody else, like a significant other, or maybe you just put the whole full burden of that on your own shoulders. How is this gonna get fixed? But how is not the question that we really need to be answered? It's not the question Israel needed to be answered. How do I know? God doesn't even answer it. <laughs> Nine chapters would be going through Isaiah. God does not give them a detailed plan of how he's gonna bring them out of exile. Hints and clues and, and poetic visions, but we do not get how. How is he really going to fix the problem? How is he really going to deliver them out of enemy territory? How is he gonna deal with the problem that got them there in the first place, sin? Why does he not answer how? Because how is not going to give Israel the resilience of hope they need to live in exile. And it's not gonna give you the resilience you need to live in exile. How is not the question that needs to be answered first. There's another question that must be answered first. It's a question that started to bubble up slowly to the surface of Isaiah. Because God is not done. He is going to deliver. How? Not how. Another question that begins to slam onto the scene in Isaiah 49. Read with me verses one. Listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Did you hear it? The question, not how are they going to get out of exile? Do you see the question that's starting to crop up? It's like right there. If you didn't notice it yet, let me ask this question to help us get there. Who's talking right now? Who is this person who demands the coastlands and the edges of the entire world to stop what they're doing and listen to whoever this is? Who's talking right now? Whoever it is, God calls this person the servant the one whom God will finally show the world his glory. This person is the answer. Is it Israel? Can't be. Because if you follow the story so far, we know full well that even though God sometimes refers to Israel as the servant, we know that Israel, according to Isaiah, is deaf, blind, disobedient, rebellious, and now has sunken into exile, not just politically, but spiritually. They cannot be the one in whom God finally gets their glory. So this cannot be Israel, even though it says Israel. Well, maybe it's that guy Cyrus that we talked about the last few weeks. He's like that Persian king who's gonna come and God's gonna send and rescue. Can't be Cyrus. Cyrus doesn't even know who God is and doesn't care. 
So it can't be Cyrus. Cyrus is just another tool on God's tool belt in his redemptive story. Talked to somebody today who was saying, well, maybe it could be Isaiah. We know if you follow the words of Isaiah, Isaiah does not think he is that person. His book begins by saying, I'm a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. And we find out later through history, Isaiah lived and died along with the story of exile. Whoever this is, he is the hope of Israel. He says, in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. He, whoever he is, is God's secret weapon. Whoever this servant is, is God's answer to when everything looks like it's hopeless. In the life of God's people, God has a sword hidden away and an arrow still tucked in the quiver. Whoever this is, he is the answer to exile. God says to whoever this is, my servant Israel. The mystery that Isaiah begins to unravel throughout these passages is that somehow the entire calling and mission of this people, Israel, all the responsibility that they held to bless the whole world is moving from a people to a person. Their partnership with God to rescue everyone is moving from a people to a person a person whom God will call from birth for a special purpose, it says right here. A person with a special name given to them that will identify what their ministry is. Like a name given while they're still in their mother's womb. A person whose mouth will be like a sharp sword. So he will be like a prophet. But if we go on later in Isaiah 50, it's talking about how this person's ministry in speaking will be the very voice of comfort that God promised to give. Here is where it suddenly expands. Whoever Isaiah is talking about, the servant of the Lord, when he speaks, God speaks back in verse six, saying, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Whoever this is who stands up and starts speaking and says, everyone in the world needs to listen to me, God speaks back to them and says, this is the light to the nations. This is the answer, not just to exile, but the problem that has seeped into all of creation and humanity. This person is going to be the dawn of the night of nightmares that sin has wreaked onto our world. Whoever this is, this is going to be the answer to exile. God has been about one thing since the beginning of human history, saving. And this is how he's going to do it. But again, he doesn't really actually say how. So what's the question? If it's not how is God gonna get us out of exile, do you see it now? What is the question that is being answered and begged and turned around to be given a far better question for God's people that God might speak to? Because when you think about, for me, when I, what I thought when I was in this back room 
is what I needed to hear from God before I got married was how it was going to turn out. And so I prayed and those prayers turned into tears and then frustrations and God, I do not want to be like my parents. How can I assure that things will not pound out that way? How will it work out? Can you tell me how, God? And God didn't tell me how. And I sat there disappointed that he hadn't spoken to me in silence and quiet. And once I got too tired of praying more, I just laid there for a while. And when I was quiet, I got something that I feel like God began to speak to me. He didn't tell me how it was gonna turn out. He said, Jake, whatever happens, I will be with you. And that's what I really needed to hear. That's what gave me the resiliency for that part of life. I will be with you. So have you figured out the question now that Isaiah is answering for us? Not how. Are you able to hear the question that is starting to bubble up to the top and the surface of Isaiah? It's not how is this going to get fixed. It's not how things are gonna turn out. Not how we're gonna get out of exile, but who? Who? is going to get us out of exile? Who is God going to use to get the story out of the pits of Babylon and put it back on track? Who is gonna be the one that God will use to bring about salvation, what he's so good at doing? Who, the servant. Who is what the people in exile must hear before how is ever gonna make a difference? The story of God's plan to rescue Israel, not just from exile, but from sin and not just Israel, but the world. That is why whoever this is, he's the light to the nations that salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So who is it? Who, church? You know his name. <laughs> For we do not like, in, like Israel live in the age of mystery clinging to hope. We have more than they. We still need this question. But we are not like them clinging and longing and waiting. God, how are you going to fix exile? And God speaks through my servant. That is who. We, unlike them, know the very name that this servant would be called from birth on. Jesus, Emmanuel, son of God, born of Mary, we have heard his words sharper than a sword. We know his teaching. We have so much more than that little poetic glimpse that Israel had. In fact, we don't just know his name. We know the name of his mom. We know the story of how he came from her belly. We know every inch and bit so much more than Israel in exile ever could have known. We know who. His name is Jesus. That is how Israel is to get out of exile then. And that is the hope of our experience of exile now. Not how do we get out of this? Not how do we fix this? Who? Jesus. And yet we still need this reminder. We do. Because we still obsess over how. We fixate on how. Living day to day in the tension of exile still forces your brain back into how. It's why you spend more time planning this week how you're gonna spend your week on iCalendar than you are gonna be on your knees praying that the who orchestrates time and history together will help. 
It's why you're gonna go to the buffet of options in our culture to numb your pain and how to feel better from mindless scrolling to surfing porn this week to drinking just enough to be a little bit tipsy but not feel convicted about it. Instead of asking, who is my comfort from the wounds that I experience? It's why our young men in our culture and even within our church are gonna spend more time watching YouTube videos, how to life hack their way from David Goggins to Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson, rather than ask, who is the definition of wisdom? Who shows me what it means to be a man? It's the reason that our, our young women from a very young age are gonna get attacked over and over again and burdened by a thousand lies on how they are to find their value in beauty or performance because we have not taught them who gives them value, who loves them above any other because often we have not gone there ourselves. That is why we still need the words of Isaiah today. Who is the question that we need answered? Not how. But whereas we are on the other side of history, the other side of the Babylonian exile, and we can connect with them deeply in that tension, they still had to wait. And when you're waiting in exile, there's another question that starts to bubble to the surface and maybe you can guess it. In verse eight, it says, thus says the Lord in a time of favor, I've answered you in a day of salvation, I have helped you. What time, what day? I'd imagine they were asking. Here's the question that lingering exile demands. When, when are you actually coming back, God? When are you actually going to deliver us. These promises sound beautiful. And okay, okay, we'll fix our minds and our hearts on the hope of who, but when? When is he coming? When is he going to fix everything? When is our experience of exile going to end? When, oh Lord, will that time of favor come? And if you read the Old Testament, you see the prayers of God's people, even in the Psalms, how long, oh Lord, Will you forget me forever? When is a really good question and a fair one when you are living in exile? It's one that we can all relate to. In fact, the moment that Jesus came back from the dead, since we know more story than them, his disciples show up on the scene in Acts 1. They ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Is it now? When? When are you like totally wrapping this thing up? Because we're ready. Stoked that you resurrected from the dead. We're done now, right? And Jesus's response to when is none of your business. <laughs> Unfortunately, often the question uh, when asked when, we do not get the answer of when. And so neither they who are waiting on the servant in exile back then, nor do we who follow, it, follow the resurrected servant know when he'll come again. So in that way, we are like the exiles again. We don't know when. So then there's something going to sustain us when we don't know the answer to when, is there a better question? There is. There's another better question that comes into the foray of Isaiah. 
The servant has already spoken for himself so far, but now we see in verse eight that the Lord speaks. It says, I will keep you, <clears throat> I will keep you and give you a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage, saying to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness appear. They shall feed along the ways on bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them. We don't know when, but what God does tell his people is what will happen when he comes. What is the question that gets answered? What is going to happen when that day, whenever that day is, comes? He will give his servant as a covenant to the people, which means every single promise that God has ever made to humankind will come true when the servant comes. Everything from the promise that he made Eve that horrible day where he told her, one day your descendancy will crush the serpent. Or the promise that he made to Noah that there is such a disease in this world that it needs to be washed away. And yet God promises to Noah, I will find a different way to deal with sin. Or the promise that he made to Abraham, he said, here, here, Abraham, I'm gonna make you one family and here's the deal. I'll bless you, you follow me and every single person in the world will have a chance to see the true God from people all the way back in China to all the way here in Phoenix, Arizona. Everyone will see Abraham through your family or the promises that he made to David that one day the world would have one king and his reign would extend forever. What is happening when it says that God is saying, I am gonna give you as the covenant to the people means every single promise God has ever made is going to come true when who the servant is comes. That is what is going to happen. The prisoners are gonna come out. The ones trapped in darkness will see light. The people who belong to God are gonna be led back by God himself it's, it's like this new version Isaiah pictures of, of like Exodus when God brought his people out of Egypt. It'll be something like that, except God himself will be leading them back. God says, what will happen is that he'll make all his mountains a high road. The highways will be raised up. And then in verse 13, the only response is that the heavens exult, O earth break forth, O mountains into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on the afflicted. The only response that they'll see is basically new creation. The mountains will start singing. That is what is going to happen when the servant comes. When? They got no idea. But God gave them what? What would be enough to sustain their hope and create a resiliency so that even in exile, there would be a people that clung to God knowing who was gonna fix it, even in a mystery and what it would be like when he came. This who, the mighty servant of God, would not just bring Israel out of Babylon, but the whole world out of the exile of sin. And so clinging to who and what they waited for a long time, 
what God promised he would do when he came back to his people, what he, what he would accomplish through the work of the servant, they waited on. And this is where we are very much like the exiles because we already live on the other side of when the servant came. Yes, we know way more about the story and the mystery of who was being talked about here. We know Jesus. We know in full while they waited and cling to that mysterious hope, we have seen and heard the testimony of what Jesus actually taught and preached. Saying to the prisoners, come out and those in darkness appear. Those, they, they shall feed along the ways and on bare heights shall be their pasture. We've seen Jesus feed thousands with a few loaves of bread. We've seen him teach that he is the true shepherd who led the people back to God. We heard him when he was breaking bread with the apostles say that his life was given as the new covenant. We heard Isaiah say, when the servant comes, they shall no longer hunger or thirst. But we have heard Jesus say, I am the living water. You won't be thirsty because I'm gonna give in myself to you something so deep, so rich, so connected to God, it'll be like a well welling up inside you. We have way more like then. And since that day, when one man, Jesus of Nazareth, preached and lived and died and came back from the dead, we have seen what he does over and over and over again. You've experienced it. You have seen in your own life and the people around you, people enslaved and prisoners to sin come out of addiction, come out of anger, come out of brokenness. You've seen it. You've seen it in your own life, the forgiveness that pours out from this servant and what happens when he shows up on the scene mysteriously, even in 2023. We have seen what he does over and over again, what this servant does when he shows up. And so we're not like these exiles who mysteriously clung to a promise of what, even if they didn't know when. And yet there is a way we are still like Israel in our exile too. The best way I could illustrate this tension is through an illustration I learned from my professor in school, Mike Goheen, and I'll like adapt it for myself, but he gets the credit. I, I like making pizza. It's one of my favorite things to make when people come over. I've got like this little propane pizza oven. It's like real little, looks like a little spaceship. And it's cool because you'll fire up so hot, you'll put the pizza in and one minute it'll come out amazing pizza. And so I love to make pizza for people. And so typically what'll happen is everyone will be hanging out, um, get a glass of wine, be shaping the pizzas, I'll get all in the zone. And I'll always make a first prep pizza because the first times I learned how to do this, I'd put the pizza in, it would like smash and set on fire. And then I'd be like, well, someone's not getting a pizza. Um, so instead I have the prep pizza, but now that I've gotten used to it, there's always one extra pizza. And so that pizza, the first pizza, it goes in, cooks up. I pull it out, I walk back inside and everyone's like, whoa, look at that pizza. And I cut it up and I, and I take a bite and then I give a bite to anybody who wants to try a little piece of that pizza and the mozzarella and the marinara and the little basil leaf that's on there too. And you, so if you're over for dinner and you take a bite of that, that prep pizza, right? I take the rest of it and I put it in the oven and it stays in the oven to stay warm until I cook the rest of the pizzas. And then I tell everybody, go sit down at the table. Get your wine, get what you want, plates are ready, so that when dinner is ready, all the pizzas come out at once and we might feast. Here's the question. If you were there and you took that first bite of the prep pizza, did you eat dinner? 
okay, did he, did we eat dinner? I took a bite. Jake's saying this and this, the pizza. Yes and no, right? You had a bite of dinner. You're not eating something else. I don't give a bite of pizza and then I bring out a steak. It's pizza. You've tasted it. You know what it tastes like, but you haven't really eaten the whole pizza. Your belly is not yet full. That is what it is like to be a Christian. We have tasted of the ministry of the servant Jesus Christ. We have experienced forgiveness, and yet we haven't eaten the whole pizza of the day where I won't have to deal with sin ever again. We have seen him heal, both internally in the wounds that are in our soul and actually seen it physically in our eyes. We have seen him heal, and yet we haven't eaten the whole pizza because we still gotta walk alongside each other when we experience disease and eventually death. We have tasted the good things of what will happen when Jesus comes again. But we have not sat down and feasted on the whole pizza. That comes soon. When? (laughs) We don't know when. So God gives us what it will taste like. That is what we cling to while we still live in exile. So we still sit hungrily at the table, waiting, hoping, longing, knowing exactly what it's gonna taste like and yet our stomach's still growling for the full meal that will come when Jesus finally comes again. In the meantime, what do we do? We know who and we know what. How are we gonna have resilience and hope and faith while we still sit at the dinner table waiting for the feast that is to come? While we're still inviting people to come taste and see. Same thing Israel did. We cling to who? We cling to what? We leave this service and we remind each other over and over again, who is the answer to exile? We remind each other over and over again what it will look like because we forget that moment from that first bite of the pizza until the full feast. You can forget totally what the cheese tastes like. You need to remind one another and remind yourself what it will be like when Jesus comes again. We might not know when his second coming will be just like Israel did not know when exile would end, but we know in part what it will be like and what the world will be like. That is what we do. That's why we eat every time we get together bread and wine. So we can be reminded of what it tastes like. The bread is a reminder every time you eat it that one day we will taste the full feast that Jesus has provided by giving himself. Who? The servant. And one day we're gonna taste fully the wine that Jesus provided by giving his blood. And so as you sing today, as we, as we continue with what we do, as we gather as the people of God, as you sing today, as you take bread, as you drink the wine, as you pray with one another and encourage one another, as you go out into your week, remember what Israel was reminded of in Isaiah. Our hope is in who and what he will do. Let's pray. King Jesus, the word has been opened. The sermon is done. And now by your power, reveal to us, Jesus, may uh, 
Anything that's just my personality or Jake fade away and may the things that are you never be forgotten. To all your people who need to hear to be encouraged and restored and rejuvenated today, speak to them where they need to hear that truth. Amen.